Our scripture passage today comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 4. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to God's words today, we need his spirit to help us. Let us begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it instructs us, that it shows us who you are. And we do thank you for the Holy Spirit that leads us into all truth, our teacher. We need him to help us. We need him to reveal to us that you would have us to learn, to understand, to be comforted by, to be instructed with. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are tender to your word. May it accomplish everything you have for us today. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 4, you're certainly welcome to follow along. And as we are continuing through the Psalms, some of them are rooted in historic Events that took place as we looked at Psalm 3 and David fleeing from Absalom. And others are more general in their instruction to us. As we come to Psalm 4, we're told it's a song to be sung among the stringed instruments and something that David wrote. But we don't have a lot of context for when David said this and perhaps why. But it does teach us a lot about who God is, how we ought to relate to him. And in particular, this psalm, I think, teaches us a lot about prayer. I think there's very few things, we've talked about this before, there are very few things in the church that would have come up on a survey of needing to grow in that would rank higher than prayer. (coughs) For some reason in our modern day, We are a prayerless church. We look back to the words and the practices of the Puritans and the Reformers and the ancient church, and we see that their lives were devoted to prayer. Whole sects of the church, monasteries, where people set apart their lives to pray for hours and hours a day. Indeed, we have more resources now than ever before. We have more time available to us than ever before. And yet, 
most of us would confess that we are not men and women of prayer. This psalm calls us to a life of prayer, and it gives us some instruction. It gives us some help as we want to pursue a life that is more dependent on God through prayer. Really, I just have a simple message for you today. It has two points. That prayer is rooted first in God's unchanging character. Our ability to to pray is intrinsically tied to our view of who God is and his character. And so this psalm belabors over and over about God's unchanging character as David prays to him. And second, uh, that prayer is also rooted in man's persistent faith. God's unchanging character, man's persistent faith. These are the things that we need in order to become people of prayer. So first, God's unchanging character. There are many helpful books on prayer out there. Uh, There are many people who have said many good things. There's one little quote that I thought was relevant to our first point. It's from Tim Keller. He says this, Before prayer, it is important to meditate on biblical truths until our affections and hearts are as are as deeply engaged as possible. Let me say that one more time. Before prayer, it is important to meditate on biblical truths until our affections and hearts are as deeply engaged as possible. What is Tim Keller saying? Tim Keller is saying, when we come to Scripture, when we come to prayer, when we come to God, we must remind ourselves about who He is. So many of the commandments in the Old Covenant, when Moses spoke to the people, remember how the Lord delivered us. Remember how he parted the Red Sea. Remember how he made a covenant with us. Remember our father Abraham. Remember, remember, remember. It is the first motion that we must make when we come to God is to remember who he is. To open up the Psalms and to look for prayer and to look and say, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness, and to dwell on God as our righteousness. To be reminded that he is the one who gives us our righteousness. That he is God and we are his creatures. We are to be reminded of God's unchanging character no matter when we come to him. And depending on the occasion, perhaps we need to be reminded of his tender care of his people. Perhaps we need to be reminded of his holiness. Whatever our situation, we must remind ourselves of who God is. That it might engage our hearts and our affections that we come to him in sincerity and faith. So we see that throughout this psalm. Verse 1, we remember that God is a God of our righteousness. David calls him that by name. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. And what else does he do? He reminds himself and God of what God has done in the past. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Remember before when I cried out to you, O God, and you answered me? I'm calling out to you again. Would you answer me again? 
the end of verse 1. Be gracious to me. God, I know you are a God of grace. I don't deserve for you to hear me. But I'm asking you to be gracious. Verse 3. But I know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. David is being reminded. He is verbalizing how God has acted. Just as he has this chosen nation here as David is their king. So it is for us that we remember that God has set us apart. We go to the book of Ephesians and we're reminded that God has blessed us through Christ with every spiritual blessing, even before the foundation of the world. That he has called us apart to be united to his son. Lord, we know that you have set us apart. You have called us into your presence, that you have given us your grace. And David confesses, the Lord hears when I call to him. David knows that the Lord hears. He's reminding himself that he prays the God who hears the prayer of those who are set apart. Moving on to verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Who will show us some good? In the midst of our terrible world, in the midst of our terrible circumstances, where is any goodness? And David confesses, it is the Lord who will light up his face upon us. He calls on the Lord to bring the good that people so desire. He is making this good confession. Look how rich this prayer is, confessing all of these great truths about who God is and how he is related to his people. He is the one who's lifted up the light of his countenance upon his people. It's like the benediction we hear each week. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lift up his countenance upon you. Look upon you. Verse 7 You have put more joy in my heart than the men who have their grain and wine abounding. More than plenty in our lives, more than material wealth and prosperity, the Lord has given us joy. And David relishes this reality, that he has communion with God that he has been set apart, that God hears him when he prays, that he has a God who has provided righteousness for him, that he is a God who has answered him and given him relief in his times of distress, that he is a God who has lifted up his face towards him. Verse 8, he is the God who brings peace the Lord who makes him dwell in safety. As much as David's prayer is for God to act, it is also a remembrance. It is also a great confession. We could almost use this psalm as our confession of faith. It has so many phrases, so many verses, so many hearkening backs 
to who God is and how he has acted, how it is God who has done these things, who has provided grace and peace and righteousness, who has set apart his people, who hears, who has given us joy, who makes us dwell in safety. And that is David's prayer, one of thanksgiving and praise, and at the same time, one who is in great need. Prayer is rooted in God's unchanging character. It must come with it a true conviction of God's character, a true conviction that he is the one who hears and acts. It must have theology right, at least to a certain extent, in order to come to God in faith, knowing that these things are true about him. So that we can have expectation that he will act accordingly. Which leads us to our second point. Prayer must also be rooted in man's persistent faith. It is clear throughout this prayer that David has some time of waiting. That part of his confession here to God is asking him to do the same thing that he has done before. Calling upon God's character, but also trusting That God is the one who is in charge. It's not that he just puts a coin into the machine and God spits out an answer. Indeed, it's perhaps the furthest thing from that analogy. David is in communion with the living God. He is pleading his case. He is calling God to be consistent with who he is and how he has acted. And David then, in faith, trusts and waits. Even his opening words in verse 1, Answer me when I call. Just as you did before when I was in distress, Lord, answer me. He's not commanding God what to do. He is making a request. He is coming in humility, coming in faith, coming in trust, knowing he is the God who has done these things and knowing this is the place he must come to in his time of need. Hear my prayer. There's this interesting phrase out in verse 2 towards these men. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? There's this contrast between who God is and who these men are, the set-apart ones and these other men who are trusting in their riches, finding their joy in their grain and their wine, those who are seeking after vain words and lies. But we see how long, how long. How long will my honor be turned into shame? Just remember our last psalm, David was fleeing from his son who was taking over his throne unrighteously. David is crying out for justice. He is crying out that his honor would be restored. How long must I wait? How long will these men continue to pursue these vain things to deny truth? It's almost a phrase of lament, one of the other themes throughout the Psalter. 
One of the things I would encourage you to pray in the midst of your despair, when you don't know perhaps what the future holds, how long, O oh Lord, how long must we wait? This is the persistence, the trust, the faith, the walking forward, despite what is happening around us, knowing that God hears us, and yet trusting and waiting. How long? The Lord hears when I call to him, verse 3. And then we get this phrase, perhaps one that we're most familiar with in verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Have you ever been angry? There's a type of anger that is sinful. Anger can cause us to do things. It can cause us to lash out in wrath. It can cause us to say things we didn't want to say that we wish we could take back. But there's another type of anger that doesn't lead to sin. It's the type of anger that stirs up in a man's heart as he is praying to God. As he is waiting in faith. He might be overcome with this emotion. Indeed, Almost any time we feel driven to prayer, it is because we have a heightened emotional state. And our emotions aren't intrinsically sinful. But left unchecked, that is where they will lead us. Jesus says as much, he who is, hates his brother has committed murder. He who lusts has committed adultery. Our emotions have sinful proclivities left to their own devices, left to our sinful hearts to manifest in whatever way they feel they ought to, they will lead us into sin. But this is a man who is praying, who is bringing his anger to God. He's upset. And what does he tell us to do? Ponder in your own hearts on your bed. And be silent. In the midst of uncertainty, in the midst where David feels like he is being put to shame instead of honored, where the people around him love vain words and seek after lies, David is angry. But he doesn't lash out. He doesn't go on a violent spell. He doesn't rise up with his mighty men and go avenge himself. He goes to the God who hears. And he makes his request known. He prevents himself from avenging his own honor. He waits in his bed. He ponders in his heart chooses to be silent. This is the persistent faith of a prayerful man. Perhaps the hardest part of this entire message is this reality, that the psalm calls us to wait. 
to be silent, to consider. And while we are silent and in our beds and considering in our hearts, resisting the temptation to sin and crying out with the Lord's prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver me from this evil. Verse 5 tells us what else the persistent man of faith does. He offers right sacrifices and he puts his trust in the Lord. His life is one of worship. David takes the time to consecrate himself, to be made right. Perhaps we have become angry and it has caused us to sin. This is the call to come and to make the right sacrifice. That is to come to Christ and to have his blood intercede for us. To make sure we are right before the Lord. Before we deal with whatever situation we are angry with. And not only do we offer right sacrifices, we trust the Lord. There are many things that we will come to God in prayer for that he will not answer for us in the way that we would like him to. It is part of our confession that he knows better than us. His ways are higher than our ways. But this call here in verse 5 is that we are submitting to him. We are worshiping him. He is God. He is the one who is controlling. We will trust in his judgments and in his timing. And ultimately, that's how David ends this psalm. By this great confession, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. This is his hope that the Lord would show his favor, that he would show his face. That he was reminded of the great joy the Lord has put into his heart. Here, David, no doubt, is probably facing circumstances we can't even dream of. And he is able to rejoice that the Lord has put more joy in his heart than those wicked men have with all of their grain and wine. He has peace. I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I don't have to worry. I don't have to avenge my anger just have to be silent and to trust and to worship, to persevere, and to be reminded who it is that I'm speaking to. Psalm 4 gives us this template of prayer. There is nothing more important for us as those who belong to Christ than to cultivate a life in prayer. It is perhaps the most central theme throughout all of Scripture. Martin Luther put it this way, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Sounds like Psalm 4 to me. David was probably very anxious and angry and uncertain. And yet what did he do? He came to God in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. He made his request known to God. And what do we see? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, allowed him to lie down and sleep in peace because he knew he was the God who allows him to dwell in safety. The lack of prayer in the modern church, in my own life, likely in your lives, is one in which we ought to be very concerned. We're missing out on communion with God himself. We are contented to live mediocre Christian lives. Through the wise writings of other people, through the experience of grain and wine, like the men in the psalm. To be content knowing God as this distant one out there who seems to be okay with us. Thomas Ford, one of the Puritans, said this, He who prays without faith and grace, without faith and grace, is a hypocrite meaning that we must come to God in prayer with faith and grace, this confession about who God is and true conviction. Okay, so that's what we want to cultivate in ourselves, right? He goes on to say, and he who does not pray at all is an atheist. That's how important understanding who God truly is. If we How we approach God really is where the rubber meets the road on our theology. Do we believe he is the God who hears us? The God of our righteousness, the God who shows grace, who has brought relief, the God who has set apart the godly for himself, who hears when we call on him, the God who has given us joy in our hearts, the God of peace who alone allows us to dwell in safety Do we believe he is the God who sent Jesus Christ into the world to die for our sins? If we do, it ought to cause us to come draw near. It's one of the central themes of what Christ allows us to do, that by his blood we can draw near to the throne of grace. No longer a veil separating the presence of God from his people. What keeps you from prayer? What lies do you believe about God's character? That he's not interested? That he doesn't need to be told? God knows everything. He doesn't need to hear my list. He's too far off. I I can't. he, He wouldn't hear me anyways. My needs are too small. I just live in Fargo, North Dakota. I mean, 
I'm not King David. God's love doesn't include caring about my nitty-gritty details, my petty fights, the ways in which I feel dishonored. Those are the things that we tell ourselves about who God is that prevents us from coming near. Perhaps we don't have a persistent faith because we've prayed for things in the wrong way and because they haven't happened, because we believe about God as being a vending machine, we've become cynical. Well, I prayed, but God didn't do anything, so I stopped. Another quote from Tim Keller's book on prayer says this, It is remarkable that in all of his writings, the Apostle Paul's prayers for his friends contain zero appeals for change in their circumstance. It is remarkable that in all of his writings, Paul's prayers for his friends contain no appeals for changes in their circumstances. What does Paul usually pray for? that their minds might be expanded, that they might fully comprehend the love of God. That they might understand who God truly is. This is why theology is important. Perhaps we pray a one and done. Yeah, look, I prayed, lived it to God. He doesn't care anymore if he doesn't answer. Lack of expectation. God isn't a God who answers. Lack of patience. I need my prayer answered today. While we wait, how do we distract ourselves? Are we those who are offering right sacrifices, trusting in the Lord, waiting in our bed, pondering in our hearts? Or do we distract ourselves with worldly cares? I think perhaps most of us, at least my own sense of why I don't pray is because I have become too worldly and self-reliant. I don't need God's help. I'll figure it out. Perhaps we've just become content to leave our lives the way they are. We don't want change. We don't want growth. We don't want renewal. We just want consistency. We'll take our lot the way it is. The heart of why we are prayerless, though, is that we have lost true communion with God. There's this children's catechism uh, question that says, uh, what is prayer? Prayer is simply talking to God. I used to think it was a silly answer uh, to elementary. Then I became an elementary school student, I guess, and realized how profound it really was. Simply talking to God. Simply communing with the God of the universe. Now that is a profound statement said in an elementary way. What we truly need is a new work of God's spirit in our lives. If we live prayerless lives, we ought to be convicted of it. But this psalm points us to the right direction. Our two points. We need to remember God's unchanging character. 
It's what Paul does in the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, 31 through 39. What should we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what we need to be reminded of. That's what Paul thought was most important to write to the church. That is what God has recorded for us throughout the ages to be reminded. What shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing. If we are prayerless, we need to be reminded. More than that, we need to be able to cultivate persistent faith. And God has provided for us in that as well. Just before Paul's wonderful encouragement here, he says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. Do you know what to pray when you don't have words? Do you know what to pray when you are at the end of your rope? Do you know what to pray when you're angry? I don't, but the Spirit helps us. For we do not know what to pray when we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Here we have it. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ at the right hand interceding for the saints, the Spirit praying for us, filling in the gaps as we don't even know what to say. And the Father hearing us, the one who answers. This is the answer to our greatest need. This is what we need to grow. We need to be reminded of God's unchanging character. We need to cultivate lives of persistent faith. There is no shortage of resources. Perhaps one of the most helpful ways in which we learn how to pray is by doing it together. James chapter 5 reminds us, if anyone is suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. If anyone is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save him who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Indeed, we need the help of others. There are many helpful things I have put into your pew today. This little book by a man named J.C. Ryle. Just reading this book. 30 pages will stir your hearts to pray. 
He gets to the heart of not only praying with one another, but communing with God. We have a great inheritance from men and women who have come before us, who have written down encouraging words to us. We have things like this, the Valley of Vision. This is just a prayer book of the Puritans. You read the prayers of the Puritans and you think, Oh, Lord, I wish I had this heart. And it helps us to cultivate a life of prayer. We have books that I quoted from several times today. Tim Keller's book on prayer. Paul Miller's book on prayer. All of these things, whatever it is that we need. Another person in your pew to meet with once a week, every morning, whatever it might be. Nothing is a greater cause for us than to commune with our Lord. To bring our emotions to him. To be reminded of his character. To grow in our love for him that we might worship and trust him more. May God's spirit help us in our weakness. May we be reminded of all that God has done for us through Christ. And may it cause us to draw near. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you hear us when we pray. Lord, help us in our doubts. Help us in our unbelief. Give us your spirit that we might be changed, that we might be motivated that we may draw near to you in prayer. Lord, help us to find the resources we need. But ultimately, Lord, help us to have the hearts that cry out to you, that we might receive your grace, your comfort, your peace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.